Hey, uh, my name's Scott Kadersha. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us here tonight at Reengage. So my wife, uh, Kristen, we're married almost 16 years, four boys. She has the short straw and is home with our kids right now while I get to be here with you. And so we've been married almost 16 years, and uh, you'll get to meet her sometime down the road. I do have, a, just by way of introduction, I, I serve on staff here as a director of premarital and newly married ministry. And uh, I got dressed up for you guys tonight because I like you. I have four pairs of jeans at home. Uh, one of them has like holes in the, in the front. And you know how like cool kids, the younger people, people younger than me, when they, they buy jeans like pre-made with holes, that's not what mine are like. These are just really old and I'm cheap. The second one had that little hole in the kind of the pocket, which I was like, all right, that's cool. It's okay. It's really tiny. Well, the next time I wore it, apparently the hole got to be a couple inches big. And one of my coworkers said, you can never wear those jeans ever again. <laughs> and, uh, and so my wife went out and bought me a really expensive pair of jeans at Old Navy. I'm wearing those tonight. And so I tried those on a couple days ago. And I'm like, oh, they fit really well. I like them. I put them down on the bed and looked at them. And it, it says in the lining on the jeans, it says uh, ample, like A-M-P-L-E. <laughs> it's like, all right. My wife thinks I'm big. I am. And, uh, and then I look a little bit closely, and it says stretch to fit. And so I'm like, babe, thank you for the jeans. They're comfortable, but I think they're for pregnant men. And, uh, and she starts laughing, and she's like, well, that's all I could find for short people, people with short legs. And so uh, my name is Scott Kadersha. I'm a follower of Christ who struggles with being short-legged and pregnant. Thank you very much. It's good to be here among you. Um, she'd kill me if she knew I told that story tonight, but it's true. Uh, you should have a handout in front of you. I'm going to talk to you tonight. Uh, four ways to cherish your spouse in 2017. And so take some notes if you like. If you don't, make an airplane out of it. I don't care, but take some notes. I think it'll help you. Uh, I've been on staff here at 11 years. This year is 11 years of, of working in marriage ministry. For me, really love what I get to do, and, and I really enjoy getting to be here with you and re-engage. I typically work with couples in the merge ministry. Those are all the, as we say, the, the cute, skinny, young couples that have no idea what's ahead of them that walk by every week. Those are the merged couples. I love them, but I really enjoy getting to be here with you guys and re-engage as well. So tonight is a, is a talk I've just started recently putting together. It comes out of a really, really bad 2016. So if I look back on all my years on staff, all my years as a follower of Christ, last year was my least favorite year by far. There's not even a close second. Marriage was in a good spot. My kids are, are doing fine. You know, I've got four boys that are 13, 13, 10, and 8, so everything's fine with my kids. Uh, still love Jesus, no gross sin in my life, but, um, but it was a really, really tough year. A couple things. One, I did not take care of myself physically, and so my weight was out of control. I was, not, um, uh, I was just not honoring God with my body. I had some unresolved conflict with some of my closest friends in the world that I didn't want to deal with. And, uh, and the, the biggest thing that was kind of most apparent, I think, to people is I had this tremendous speaking anxiety. And, and I'm, like, I'm not supposed to be a, it's a pastor, but part of that is being a professional communicator. Like, that's part of my job. And I got in front of a room, and I would get absolutely petrified. Part of the reason why I brought this stool up is because I still am afraid at times that I might get nervous. That all comes out of the fact that I want you to like me, and I'm a people pleaser. And so last year was just all this stuff. It wasn't anything major, but it was one thing after another that, that just led to a really rotten 2016. 
as I got to the end of 2016, I'm like, I cannot keep doing this. And so have done a better job this year of trying to work out and watch what I eat, resolved all the conflict that was unresolved, dealt in part with my people pleasing, and I still worry too much, but I'm doing better than I was. Uh, but part of it was I, I felt like I needed to, to up my game in marriage. So our marriage was not a bad marriage by any stretch of the imagination, but, but as a marriage pastor, I, I want to have the best God-honoring marriage that I can. I don't want to get up here and lead uh, with, without a lack of integrity. And so as I thought about my marriage and how I'm going to lead, I thought there's really some things that I need to do. And I read an incredible book at the end of last year, beginning of this year, called Cherish. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. It's a bit written by this guy named Gary Thomas. And this was the kind of book that just absolutely kicked me where I needed to be kicked. And so as I read that book and thought through, there are some ways that I want to grow in my marriage this year that I'm being very intentional about finding ways to grow. And so what I'm going to share, there, there's many. This could be like a, like a 10-week series of re-engage, all the ways that I can grow in my marriage. I think any of us could do that. But what I did is I boiled it down to four things that I'm trying to be extremely intentional about in my marriage in 2016. And so I'm going to share those with you, really give you the kind of the down and dirty of of where I'm doing well, but where I need to grow. And I, I hope it encourages you. These are things that every single one of us should be doing. These are not things that just a professional uh, pastor would do in their marriage. This is something that any one of us needs to do in our marriage if we're going to do what we committed to do and what God would desire for us to do in our marriage. We don't do these things to earn God's favor. We do them out of God's favor for us. And so I'm going to share very briefly just four ways to Cherish your spouse in 2017. So when you uh, took your wedding vows, whenever you got married, you probably made some kind of vow that looked a little bit, there's my cute little family. My boys, twins are the, the taller ones. They look nothing like that anymore. They're now 13, and they have that gross little teenage mustache thing going on. But they're really, really sweet kids. I love them tremendously. Um, but it's amazing how quickly they grow. So my wife still looks hot all the time. She looks the same. All right, when I got married, September 15th, 2001, we, uh, we took vows just like you guys probably did, and they probably looked just like this. I vow to take you from this day forward for better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part for as long as we both shall live. What I read in that book is that, that all of those words, we know what those words mean. We know richer, we know poor, we know love. If you look throughout God's word, you can see a definition of love, 1 Corinthians 13. We look at 1 John. We see all these examples of what love looks like, God's love for us, and then the love that we're to have for others. We know at times what better looks like. We know what worse looks like. The word in there that's a bit of a head scratcher is this word cherish. And so what, it, what does it really mean to cherish our spouse? Okay, so that's what Gary Thomas unpacks in this book. That is what I'm trying to focus on in my marriage. And so let me give you a couple things of what it means to cherish your spouse. It means as if you act and live like your spouse is the most important human being on this earth. The way that he describes it in the book, it's almost like looking out at the world and seeing everything in black and white except for one person who pops out in living color. That's your spouse. It's treating them like they're different, like they are one flesh with you. 
It requires a self-forgetfulness and a determination to be intentional, to focus on their needs and desires and wants. The things that we committed to when we said, I do in marriage. It means that we love them, we sacrifice for them, we serve them. It's little practical things like when I see my wife, I give her a hug. Okay, I don't go straight for the kids. I go for my wife because she is one flesh with me. She is to be different and to stick out from all others around us. It means delighting in your spouse the way they are, not trying to make them you. It means I value my spouse for the way that God made her. It means they're different than anyone else. You love them in a selfless, sacrificial way. That absolutely challenges me because I love myself more than my wife. There's times I love my kids more than my wife. There's times I don't like my wife. And so this challenges me to love and cherish and value her. And so as I thought that even more specifically, there are four things that I'm going to share very briefly that I'm trying to do to help me cherish my wife. Number one is to deal with my selfishness. If you've been re-engaged for more than one minute or more than one week, you've heard this over and over, but we need to deal with our selfishness. Selfishness is the exact opposite of oneness. Okay, selfishness puts me before you, whereas oneness calls us to put our spouse before ourselves. It's James 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not the selfish desires that wage war within you? It's our passions, it's our desires. It's we fight because there's something we want and we're not getting it. And so I try to blame my spouse for my problems. I try to blame my kids. It's really my selfishness. And so I've shared this story before in Reengage, but it's been a while. I didn't realize how selfish I was until we had kids. So we got married in 2001. Twins were born in 2004, uh, which any twin parents in the room? My people, okay, you, okay, we got like a special bond. We know what it's like. Okay, having a child is hard. Having two of them is brutal at times. And so uh, the twins were born in May. Um, you know, one of them was a colicky child, which meant he screamed and cried all the time. No way to comfort him. Drew screamed no matter what. Okay, he, uh, he made me, I think he's... 95% of the reason why I'm gray, bald, and now nah, not overweight. I'll probably take the own credit for that. But he's a lot of the reasons why I stressed <laughs> out in life is because of this child. Cried all the time. Didn't matter what you did, he would scream. And so, in fact, we don't remember how his twin brother survived. We're not sure how he made it because all of our attention went on Drew. And one day, I'm in seminary. Kristen was the breadwinner for the family until we had the twins. And then she uh, stayed at home with the kids and so I'm working here at Watermark for about 25 cents an hour, going to seminary full-time. I'm working as a physical therapist for a little bit of money. We're tired. It's a whole new routine for us. Life was extremely difficult. This is by far the hardest season we walked through in our marriage. One day, we start yelling at each other. I have no idea what it's about, but the anger starts, and we escalate. If you've heard of escalation in communication before, we escalated, and it started to escalate to the point where we started yelling, and we're not only yelling, but we're starting to yell four-letter words at each other. Okay, and I, I don't know why I feel the need to say this. I wasn't full-time on Watermark staff at that time, which has, <laughs> does not matter whatsoever. And so I'm like yelling, and I'm dropping all these words that, that I hate. And uh, at some point, we have this window that goes from our family room to the kitchen. 
and I'm just banging my hands on this counter. And I'm screaming, my life is over. My life is over. My life is over. Over and over and over. Can I remind you that my wife has not slept in months? She just had two kids squeezed out of her. She's got hormones running through her body, but, it, but it's all about my life. Okay, my, my child, our baby is so miserable at you know, two, three months old, however old he was. He's so miserable that all he can do is scream all the time. But it's about me. It's about my life. My life is over. And there have been countless examples of selfishness since then. And in that moment, I didn't go, oh, Scott, you're being really selfish. You need to serve your wife. But as I look back, that's the time that I realized how badly my selfishness will rule my life and my marriage. And as a follower of Christ, as someone who wants to love my wife really well, there's no room for selfishness. And so I want to challenge you guys. This is not the time when the elbows fly. This is the time, as we so often say, draw the circle around yourself. Where are you being selfish? Okay, I have to deal with it all the time. Okay, it comes in, in what I eat. It comes in my desires. There, there's times when if you've got kids, you know, and we're trying to put our kids down at night, and Kristen, you know, is so good every single day. She is the one who will go up to their room. She'll pray with them. She'll ask them how they're doing. And I just kind of want to sit down on the couch and veg. I want to check email. I want to, I want to do, I want to read. Okay, I want to do anything other than engage with my children. And every time I just hear this voice that goes, I, I don't want to be that selfish spouse. I want to be involved in my kids' lives. I want to give my wife some time away. I've got to deal with my selfishness. And so this year, I'm looking for ways specifically where I'm choosing to put my desires and my wants over my wife. I know I'm going to fall short at times, but I'm keeping my ears and my eyes open for my selfishness. And so as you go through re-engage, what a great season for you not to focus on the selfishness of your spouse. Trust God that he will point those things out. Okay, the same spirit that's in you is in your spouse. This is a great season for you to figure out where you fall short and where you can deal with your own selfishness. Second is I'm trying to live with my wife in an understanding way. Okay, there are times when I think my wife is absolutely crazy. Our families are different, and I, this comes from 1 Peter 3, 7. Our personalities are different. The way we communicate is different. Uh, we look different. We act different. Our patterns are different. And, and sometimes I just go, that, she's just really weird. Okay, and, that, and she does the same with me. We do not live with each other in an understanding way on our own. And so this year, I'm intentionally trying to study my spouse, to know them, to pay attention. I look for things that I know she likes. And so 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. It just means she's physically weaker, typically. Okay, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm keeping my antenna up to ways that were different and ways that I could serve her. My wife is a saver. I'm, uh, you know, she keeps everything. I want to get rid of everything. My inbox, when it gets above 7 to 10, it fills up more than one page. In my computer, I start to get a little crazy. My wife has about 17 or 18,000 emails in her inbox. Okay, our families are very different. She always wants to leave for church 
45 minutes before it starts, even though we only live about seven minutes away. There's all kinds of things that are different. But I want to live with her in an understanding way. We leave our house at 8.15 on Sunday morning for a 9 o'clock service because my wife likes to get here early. I don't, but it doesn't matter. I want to live with her in a way that shows I care and I know her. So I'm seeking to study my spouse. I love the way my friends Alan and Amanda said this as newlyweds, kind of one of their first fights that they got into as a couple. She says, Alan, you've got to learn to understand me. I am a delicate flower. And he says, he says to her, you're a delicate flower, then, then what am I? He says, you are a vicious lawnmower who destroys delicate flowers. And so this just means you're spending time with your spouse, you're studying them, you're asking them questions, you are seeking to live with them in an understanding way. You know, one of the best ways that I've learned to do that is that I take this little device that I love so much, and it's so hard to do, but it's just a matter of putting it in another room and not paying attention to it. Okay, I cannot, I'm preaching to myself, I cannot study my wife when I'm checking email, checking Twitter, checking Facebook, checking scores, whatever it might be. Put your phones away. Be a student of your spouse. Amen? amen. Yeah. A lot of women just say amen. All right. Third is to make your marriage your message. Okay, this is, we don't have to, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but it's Matthew 5, 13 to 16, that you are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If you are someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, your marriage communicates a message to the world about what marriage is and about who God is and who Jesus is. And so what kind of message does your marriage communicate? Are you the couple that, that lives in contempt and frustration with each other? Are you the couple that, that loves being married so much they jump on their bed? Are you the couple that argues all the time? Are you the couple who is young and in love? That guy's got some serious, serious ups in his jump. Are you disengaged like this couple? I love this picture. She's sitting on the bed and, uh, and she's changing the channels and he's not tuned in to her and she's not tuned in to him. And guys, just like always, we're the ones praying, right, when she's checked out. Not the way that it works typically, okay? Disengage with one another. Silly, fun, whatever it might be. What kind of message does your, mar does, does your marriage communicate? Again, I, I'm going to lean in in this one in a little bit in a loving way. Okay, but, but like Christian marriage is so often the same as the rest of the world. Okay, we look the same as others. We claim to follow a, a different worldview and follow a God who loved us and gave himself for us. And, and we say that, that, that we're followers of Christ, but we live in the, in the same way as everyone else. And, and I'm like so convicted by this that, that there are times when I'm with my wife when I'm like, we're just like everyone else. Okay? And I, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't just sit there and, and worry about what others think about me. And I, you know, I don't think most people think about us all the time. They think about us a lot less than we realize they actually do. But, but I know like people will watch and you know, they're going to say, what is this person who, in my neighborhood, we live up in Richardson in, in uh, the reservation right by J.J. Pierce. And people know in that neighborhood that we're followers of Christ. But yet I act, I'll, I'll get frustrated with my kids, I'll be short with my wife, I'll be disengaged. And so I'm continually trying to think through 
What, what does my marriage communicate to the world? What do people think about Jesus? If they look at the way that I love my wife or my kids, is there anything different about me? It makes me think of Romans 12 too, that I want to be transformed, that my mind gets renewed, that, that I live in a way that's different than the rest of the world, the pattern of the world around us. The fourth way I'm working on my marriage is I want to play good offense and play good defense. So I don't have time to, to dive into this passage and explain it fully, but the book of Nehemiah, there's this incredible analogy that, that I saw a couple months ago when I was studying Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is a story of a guy who's over in Persia. He's the cupbearer to the king. He's one of God's people. He's a Jew, and he's separated from his homeland, and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And so he asks for permission to go back, and he goes back, and when he gets there, he realizes that God's city has been destroyed that the walls are down, that, that their city is not what it's intended to be, that God's land where God's people are to indwell and inhabit doesn't look like it's supposed to look like. And so he goes back and he wants to rebuild the city and rebuild the wall. And all through the book of Nehemiah, it's really the story of how the city and the walls were rebuilt led on, you know, under, under Nehemiah's leadership. And as they're rebuilding the wall, there's people who are coming to them and they're trying to pull them away from the task at hand. They're saying, you're stupid for doing that. It's not going to work. Quit wasting your time. We're just going to take over the city again. Over and over, people are trying to pull them away from the work. And they show in there that there's actually two sets of people. There's some people who are rebuilding the wall. They're taking the bricks and they're building them and they're putting them on top of each other. They're rebuilding the wall. There's another set of people who are outside the wall that are holding weapons that are trying to fight against the enemies that are trying to get them. There's a special group of people that are described in this passage. It says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears. So some are building, some are defending. But there's some who were building in such a way that carried burdens that they labored on the work with one hand and held the weapon with another. And I read that and I thought, man, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be someone who is building with one hand, who's defending with the other. Yeah, I don't want to just sit here and, and build and pretend I don't live in a real world. At the same time, I don't want to just live in a world and fight against the world and not work on and build my marriage. And so it reminds me, of, I, the analogy falls short, but it reminds me of a foosball player who has to play offense and defense. If they just sit there, one of them, and we control them so they don't have personalities, they're not alive. Okay, but if, it, if they just act like I'm just going to play offense and I'm not going to stop the ball, their team's going to lose. These guys have got to play offense and defense at the same time. And so we've got to do the same thing in our marriage. That means I'm going to do things playing good offense. I'm going to do quiet times. I'm going to go on date nights. I'm going to study my wife. I'm going to deal with my selfishness. I'm going to do all these things to build the wall. At the same time, I'm going to pray against the enemy. We're going to fight like crazy. We're going to resolve conflict. When we fall short, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. There's times when I've got to act defensively. There's other times I've got to work proactively. And so we've got to do both of those things in our marriage. And so there, there's a lot more I'm working on, but I'm trying to deal with my selfishness. I'm trying to live with my wife in an understanding way. I'm thinking through what does my marriage communicate to the world and I'm playing good offense, working proactively, and I'm also responding when we fall short. There's a lot more that we can do, but those are four ways to cherish our spouse in marriage. The reason why this matters for me is those four boys. Okay? That's not the only reason in the world, 
But these four boys are going up in a home where they're watching their mom and dad very closely. Their picture of who Jesus is will largely come from the way that I love their mom. Their picture of the church, their picture of marriage, their definition of marriage. I hope it's informed first and foremost by God's word. But beyond that, I'm not sure what's going to inform their view of Christ, of the church, and of marriage any more than the way that I love their mom. And so this is a big deal. Okay, I, I don't want to just coast anymore. And so I'm working very proactively to cherish my spouse. It's what I committed to do. And as a follower of Christ, my word is important. And the good thing is, it's, I do that out of my joy. I don't do that because it's a burden. It's because I love my wife. And I love being married to her. And so as you go through re-engage, what a great opportunity you have. You can't rebuild this thing in a day or a week or a month. Do the hard work. I, you know, you're going to have a different list of four things than I do. But what are you going to do to work on your marriage, to cherish your spouse? Maybe it starts as small as giving your wife a hug or giving your husband a hug. Maybe it's dealing with your selfishness. Don't focus on theirs, but focus on what you can do different. And we're so proud of you for being here. Last thing I'll tell you, and then I'd love to pray, and then Susan's going to come up, all right? Well, God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these couples. I pray, God, that you would honor their efforts to love you and to love each other. And God, this thing is hard. <laughs> Marriage is hard. Following you is hard at times, and, and we're selfish, and we fall short. And so we just ask for wisdom. We know that when we lack it, we can come to you. You tell us in James that if we lack wisdom in any way, that we can come to you and you will give generously to us. And so we just confess that we need you, that we need wisdom. God, help us to deal with, with our side of the street, to not worry about our spouse or point the finger and blame them, but to deal with our own stuff that we got to work through. God, we trust you. We thank you for your design for marriage. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for these leaders as well, God. And I pray that all of us would grow to, to love you and honor you in the way that we live with each other as husband and wife. In Christ's name we pray, amen.